the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today, uh, we're having a little Kevin Smith type of day. Uh, We've actually done a Kevin Smith day a long time ago, or a good while ago. I think it was last year, we kind of had a network-wide Kevin Smith love that we were showing, and you and I talked Clerks and the Clerks cartoon. And uh, did we did we recast Clerks? Might have. I think we did. Yeah. Well, today we are going to one of his other properties in the View Askew universe, and we're getting a little bit more religious with this one. Uh, we are going to be talking the 1999 film Dogma, and then we're going to uh, utilize the tie with Jason Lee to discuss his show My Name Is Earl, and then we're going to be doing a recasting of Dogma with actors of today. Uh, and we've discussed Kevin Smith before, but I'm sure we'll go into it again. That he was he was a very influential and one of my favorite directors. I would say, like in high school and early college. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I was introduced to him through a friend. I think the first film of his I actually saw was Mallrats. Mm-hmm. A buddy of mine really liked it, and then I saw Clerks, and then after that I started seeing things in in the theater. Sure. Um, uh, except for I didn't see Chasing Amy in the theater. Um, yep. but like Dogma. Uh, uh, James Hell Bob Strike Back, strike that sort back. of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember when James Hell Bob Strike Back. I was maybe in in high school when that one came out, or maybe early college. I can't remember what year that one came out at. I was still in college, so you might have still been in high, high school. Probably high school. like later in high school for yeah, you. Yeah, but that one was. I mean, early on, I loved that one because it was just like a such a nost- I mean it was it was like a fan service film oh absolutely they brought in all this that's what it was it was like hey have you seen Kevin Smith's first four movies which at that time I had I remember I, there was high school classes I had I remember in like my sophomore years literature maybe it was junior year literature literature class AP liter- lit class me and this guy Ross Miller we would just start quoting Mallrats and see if we could get through the entire movie <laughs> from memory just going back and forth <laughs> Like that kind of thing. That's so much stuff. So we we love our Kevin Smith on uh, this podcast, at least early Kevin Smith. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Tusk really was a downfall. And Yoko <laughs> Hosers, I couldn't even get through it. But besides that, I right. love early Kevin Smith. <laughs> and we're going to talk the 1999 film Dogma. So, John, take us back to 1999. All right. So the film was released on November 12th, 1999, which I it was a little surprising to me because for some reason in my head, I thought I was in high school when this movie came out. But at this point, I would have been in, it would have been my first semester of college. Sure. Topping the charts should be no shocker because this song was everywhere in 1999, uh, and that was Smooth by Carlos Santana featuring Rob Thomas. I remember we that it has been on here before because of that. Yes, was, I mean yeah. it was like it pretty much the last like four or five months of 1999. It topped the chart, yeah. so uh-huh. it was everywhere, and then hated it. it was yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, as far as I could find out, uh, topping the Nielsen ratings that time was likely Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which was huge at that time. It was on yeah. all the time, I, and I think at some point there was like two or three different versions running at the same time with at least a couple different hosts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very popular. Uh, released actually just the day before this uh, was the game Medal of Honor for the PS1. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I never really played the Medal of Honor series, but I know it was popular. I think it was, was that a first-person shooter? I think so. Um, yeah, I, I did not really get into first-person shooters until Halo. Yeah, I, I, that was... I mean, other well, than like the Wolfenstein, some what Doom. was that? Ga- uh, Goldeneye, Goldeneye, of course. But right. we didn't, we didn't own uh, an N sixty four. So Goldeneye was basically whenever we had someone We're else friends. that we knew yeah. who had, an yeah, N64. and no PlayStation for a lot of other ones. But we did get that original Xbox with Halo, and so that yeah. was yeah what brought me really, really into it. So yes, yep. agree. The New York Times bestseller was Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay, cool. uh, which, I've read that one. Actually, one I've read. Uh, that is, yes. I've Actually, the only ones of the books that I didn't read, I didn't bother reading the first two books after I saw the mm. first two movies. I gotta say, I'm glad I didn't because like, neither of those stories really like grabbed me as far as like it is. But I gotta say, Prisoner of Azkaban is when the books started to get good. For me, three, four, and five were the best books in her series, especially five. Five being, like, each getting one, like, progressively better, but, like, three, four, yeah. and five. Uh, six five, and f- five was my favorite book as well. Yes. I think a lot of people shit on me for that one, but that's, that's oh, no. the best book. The, I, the, the, I agree. The, uh, Dolores Umbridge one. Yep. The, um, yeah, exactly. That's I agree. I think book. that is the, the best book out of all of them. Yeah. Uh, and my fun fact for 1999, uh, that year, They Might Be Giants became the first major label recording artist to release an entire album, which was called Long Tall Weekend, exclusively in MP3 format. Oh, okay. So they had right, no physical cool. representation for it. It was only, you can only get it online. Okay. I, I have trouble thinking of They Might Be Giants in major label because they just don't have that <laughs> feel, but I get it. I get it. Well, so. you know, what you can do. Yeah, that's uh, cool. That was 1999. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, get down our knees and pray uh, and talk about dogma. Dogma from 1999, written and directed by Kevin Smith, who, of course, we talked about uh, earlier, has done Clerks, Morats, Chasing Amy, uh, Jay, and Sob, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, um, Red State, other stuff as well. Uh, music by Howard fucking Shore did the music for Dogma. <laughs> wow. Okay. The music okay, was everybody. pretty intense in this movie. I will admit. Yes. So if people doesn't don't know Howard Shore's other other movies that he's done, uh, Gangs of New York, Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia, and the fucking Lord of the Rings trilogy. Pretty, and then Dogma. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I and I, other stuff. I too, would but. call the Lord of the Rings trilogy his magnus opus because that is yes. just an epic piece of music you can it's you fantastic. can listen you can get into that to that soundtrack without ever having seen the movie it's it's fantastic mm-hmm. yeah great use of themes in that one i mean it is you're right it is a beautiful orchestral score yeah. for lord of the rings so uh cinematography by robert yauman uh who is amazing in his own right because uh, he did the movie wizard you remember the wizard the old uh, fred savage one oh, we talked yeah. about a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> but probably more so showing his artistry. Uh, he is the main uh, d- uh, DP for Wes Anderson. So oh, okay. Royal Tenenbaums, Life Aquatic, Asteroid City. Um, so those, I mean, obviously have a very distinctive, beautiful use of of, of cinematography on those. So what do you? Th- uh, what are your thoughts on Wes Anderson films? I used to like them a lot until I've rewatched them. Not necessarily like all of them. Royal Tannenbaums, I thought was like, oh my god, that's his best one. And then I rewatched it maybe five years ago, and I was like, oh, this one's just really boring. Mm. Um, people adore Life Aquatic. I never really loved it. I think Grand Budapest is fantastic. I think A Moonrise Kingdom is a really good one that a lot of people sleep on. I haven't yet seen Asteroid City, but I want to. Okay, so. I've right. never liked his stuff. 
Okay, ah, yeah. Some people I saw, what was, he's, he's what, was like, what was his first big one? Uh, Royal Tannenbaum's, I'd say, was his first no, big it was, one. No, it was one before that. It had built, uh, Rushmore? Rushmore. I saw Rushmore. Okay. My friend loved it, and I hated it. I like I like Rushmore, and I so like I've I've never I've purposely never watched any Wes Anderson films. And I like me some Jason Schwartzman. I don't know some. Yeah, I, really I'm know. not big on Jason Schwartzman either. So <laughs> okay, all right, all right. The cast for this movie: Bethany is played by Linda Fiorentino. Uh, she was in Men in Black, a lot of other small parts, but she has seemed to quit acting in like 2009. Oh, okay, she hasn't really done apparently since. she uh, was very difficult to work with. On set, oh, and there were okay. there were stents like there were to be stents where like she and Kevin Smith would just wouldn't speak to each other, and apparently, Kevin Smith did say later that he regretted giving her the part and wished that he had given the part to uh, Janine Garofalo instead. Uh, um, okay. But uh, after Kevin Smith had his heart attack, Linda Florentino did contact him to see if he was okay and apparently he apologized to her for what he said and okay stuff made like amends. that. So I think they've kind of roughly made amends. Okay, good. Uh, Rufus is played by Chris Rock. Uh, he's very well known for his stand-up career, being slapped by ki- by Will Smith, and his gorgeous song "No Sex in the Champagne Room." Uh, Bartleby is played by Ben Affleck, uh, and he was in School Ties, Goodwill Hunting, and Chasing Amy. Loki is played by Matt Damon, and he Matt was in School Damon. Ties, Goodwill Hunting, and Chasing Amy. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matt Damon, Sorry. you gotta do it. You gotta do it. Apparently, Loki was originally supposed to be Jason Lee, but I, I but saw ske- that in like, on the Wikipedia. Scheduling cool. was uh, scheduling didn't work out, so they had to take a different part, and that's how Matt Damon got mm-hmm. the part of Loki. And I could have seen Jason Lee kill it as Loki as well. Yeah, uh, Metatron, played by the amazing, the gorgeous, everything Alan Rickman. Um, I'm calling him gorgeous because his acting is gorgeous, mm-hmm. and I just love Alan Rickman. Not, and, and you know, he's not a bad looking man. No, no, he's no. not. Um, uh, apparently, he, he they offered him that role because they heard that he was a fan of Chasing Amy. Oh, okay. Uh, they they got in that rumor, so they they sent him, and he basically he said, "I'll do the part. I'll do the part if two things happen. Uh, one, you stick to the script mm-hmm. that he read, and he says, two, the wings have to be real." <laughs> okay. He said, "No That's CGI cool. wings." <laughs> And you can, and it's, and it works better because you can tell some of the C, when they switch a little bit from CGI to other stuff, especially in 1999. Right, it's not a perfect flow, but it is. There's weight to it, you know. When the mo- wings move, yeah, I know it's like not perfect and like fluid, but you see them actually like move and it like mo- adjusts the body of the people yeah, yeah. too. The, so. the actor has to adjust himself to the actual yeah. weight of it, and that you feel that as if they were real wings attached to his body. Yep. Uh, Alan Rickman, of course, Die Hard, Robin Hood, Galaxy Quest. Uh, and I do want to throw out, I was in the audience. I don't know if anybody listens to Hollywood Babylon. I got to recommend it because you and I have gone to uh, a recording. Were you at the same one I was when they talked about Alan Rickman? Mm, uh, I went to one recording with you and your buddy in L.A. Yeah. Okay. I cannot. Is, you know, this is a different one. That I, so I went to a couple recordings. Yes. And I don't think this was. No, this was one. well after Alan Rickman passed. So Okay. So yeah, I went. I think I went with this one with my buddy Blade, um, and he. This was right at the week after, and they always do the you know the death stuff. Right. So it's a it's an, uh, a Kevin Smith podcast. Absolutely, what he does with uh, K Rock, well former K Rock host Ralph Garman. I absolutely love this podcast. I listen it's, to every yeah, episode. It's funny as hell. He talked about Alan. He got so emotional. Yeah. Kevin Smith did right after Alan Rickman passed. But anyway, sorry. Little diatribe. Uh, all right. Asriel is played by Jason Lee, as you had mentioned. This is the role he took. And he was in Mallrats Chasing Amy and My Name is Earl that we'll talk about later in this episode. 
Cardinal Glick is played by George Carlin, you know, stand-up legend, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, uh, and Thomas the Tank Engine are some of the things that he's <laughs> famous for. Uh, and then Serendipity is played by the absolutely stunning Salma Hayek, Frida from Dust Till Dawn, Desperado, and many, many of Adam's younger dreams. Uh, and we and probably current dreams, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. She is, uh, She's unstoppably still beautiful. amazingly gorgeous. Uh, Kevin Smith, this was his fourth film in the VSU universe and probably his most controversial movie. So a little bit about the controversy. The Catholic League denounced the movie as blasphemy and they organized protests and delayed its release in many countries uh, and apparently led to also two death threats that Kevin Smith got because of all this shit. And the leader, the, so like the leader of the Catholic League organized all this protest. He didn't see the movie until six months after it had been released. So he just, he just, he just protested it just out of, because he just assumed, because he just assumed that it was lambasting it. And in some ways it was lambasting it, but. Yeah. In some ways it doesn't. If you actually pay attention to it, it it might lambast like some organized religion stuff, but not really not against God or the, you know, too much about the church. It's just. Right. Yeah. I hate, I hate fucking organized religion. I agree. Actually, I just hate religion. All right, let's move on. <laughs> That's another right. podcast we could do. Yeah. Despite this, uh, Dogma was pretty well received by critics, and it grossed $44 million against its uh, $10 million budget, and it has become the highest grossing movie in the View Askew universe uh, to date. Which would be higher if it weren't for the fact that the movie was basically being held hostage by Harvey Weinstein right now. Yes, I know that's a problem. You had you had issues finding this film. Yeah, so right? you cannot find this film anywhere online. It is not mm-hmm. stream anywhere. You cannot purchase it online. Um, the only thing you can do is find a DVD copy, and they don't even make new DVD copies of oh, this. Yeah, you have to find an older one because it is basically being held hostage by apparently Harvey Weinstein, who officially owns most, if not all, of the rights to it currently. Gotcha. So, so I had actually, so I own the DVD. I have the yes. the two disc special and I edition. I swore I did, but I looked through my stuff yeah. and apparently I don't. I was curious. I wonder how much I can sell it for. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm looking online. Oh wow! Oh, there's a Blu-ray. Holy crap! That was there was a Blu-ray put out in like 2008. Blu-ray for 175 dollars uh, on Amazon. Someone's trying to sell that for. Good luck with that. Because um, you can get the DVD for. 20 bucks and, and oh, okay. it's not like you need the higher graphics right on dogma right <laughs> not on dogma anyway uh so yeah so i had the dvd and i had to rip it and send it to john uh don't hashtag please don't tell the feds right. uh <laughs> i didn't share it with so seated yeah so uh so that way john could watch it so we could um discuss it for this uh ep- ep- for this podcast uh so yeah so yeah, I mean, we I guess we talked a little bit about how we got into it, but yeah, this was this was just one of those one of those Kevin Smith movies that I love so much. And I would say, I mean, other than the fan service side of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, this was the movie I always kind of considered his best made film. I totally agree. This is my favorite one out of all of his films. Okay. Um and that's to say the other ones are bad. I just if I had to pick a favorite, I immediately would be Dogma. Sure. Yep, totally get that. All right, and I'm going to start off with some reading, John. Actually, we haven't had like an opening crawl or anything for a while, but here we start off with a disclaimer. I was say there's a few of them, aren't there? Yeah, <clears throat> so I'm going to read all of it. 
We start off with a definition of the word disclaimer, which is one, a renunciation of a claim to or connection with to disavowment uh, or three, a statement made to save one's own ass. And so here they go. They go into the disclaimer, which says, though it'll go without saying 10 minutes or so into the these proceedings, viewers, you would like to state that this film is from start to finish a work of comedic fantasy not to be taken seriously to insist that any of the following is incendiary or inflammatory inflammatory is to miss our intention and pass undue judgment. The passing of judgment is reserved for God and God alone. This goes for you film critics too. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, then it goes to the next card. Please, before you think about hurting someone over this trifle of a film, remember, even God has a sense of humor. Just look at the platypus. Thank you and enjoy the show. And then in comes another card. P.S. We, we sincerely apologize to all the platypus enthusiasts out there who are offended by that thoughtless comment about the platypi. We at VSQ respect the noble platypus, and it is not our intention to slight these stupid creatures in any way. Thank you again and enjoy the show. I actually would have loved if they drug that on for like a couple more cards, <laughs> right? You know, like you know, they got on about like oh, that we called it stupid and right. tied it to other stuff, because like, yeah. What I do like about this, and what I want to comment about it is one. I wish they didn't feel they had to add a, discla- a disclaimer right. at the beginning, but you know, they kind of felt the need to because so many fucking dumbasses are going to get pissed over about any movie that comments about anything that they think of. Yeah, but I do like that they used it. You know, they they pulled the joke into like the platypus and you know i I, what i really would have liked is if it was a half-ass apology about catholicism and then it turned into a real apology about platypuses (laughs) like (laughs) like they get went so far into that is like oh my god we sincerely regret we would never mean to do anything and they keep going on and on about that but like the whole (laughs) religious side was kind of a joke and that's kind of i think what they did but i I would have pulled it off even farther but it was still is fine way to open it up so we actually get into uh, New Jersey and we see this old man. He's uh, sitting at a boardwalk at a beach. And then these three keep uh, these three creepy skater hockey kids come over and they beat him up with their hockey sticks. Fucking hockey kids. Fucking hockey. They're the worst. <laughs> They're the worst. So then we go to uh, Red Bank, New Jersey, and we meet Cardinal Glick. And he shares a new marketing promotion that he's going to be doing for the uh, Catholic Church called... Catholicism, wow, including the rebranding of Jesus Christ, you know, that's been such a sad visage for so many people. He gives people the willies, uh, but now they're rebranding him to what is called Buddy Christ. And I know this is an image that a lot of people got pissed off about, you know, JC being like, you know, super nice and happy and pointing Mm -hmm. fingers at people. But like, yeah, it's just kind of it's funny. Yeah. Uh, and then we see Loki convincing a nun at an airport that there is no God. And he's talking, you know, all about her, basically chats with her up and she sees the light of there is no God. And he talks to Bartleby after that. And it's it's funny because, you know, they know that there is a God because they are angels and he just loves fucking with the clergy. So I want to I want to add this in. And I forgot I forgot about this when you mentioned him. But uh, the guy who plays uh, the the guy who gets beaten up. Yes. Uh, his name is Bud Court. Um, he had a, a part in the original MASH t- uh, uh, movie, oh. not TV show, movie. But mm-hmm. more famously, he is Harold from the famous Harold and Maude uh, film. Oh, God. I didn't. I look at his IMDb picture. I see that now, but I certainly couldn't tell that was him because he was like the old scraggly look that he had in right. the movie. Right. Because um, okay. I remember looking yeah, him he, up when I saw him and I'm like, oh, that's where he's from. So, okay. 
Yeah, right. I just wanted to throw that, that in there. Cool. Good call. Because there's a lot of like like cameo type things, and I don't know how he does it. But Kevin Smith gets a lot of people to come in for cameos. He does. He's got pull, baby. So, uh, all right. Bartleby talks about how he loves seeing people at the airport. Uh, that it's like really, it's people at their best, and you know when they're coming, even though they've maybe sinned while they were away. Uh, you know they're they're seeing their loved ones, and that's all that matters. And all I could think about this opening, this part right here, John was. I think Love actually stole this shit. Like, because <laughs> Love actually talks about, like, you know, it's it's uh, Hugh Grant talking right. about, oh, people at the airports, Love. Uh, and I'm just like, wait a minute. I've fucking seen this before. <laughs> Maybe so, he did. You never know. Maybe. Yeah. So uh, Bartleby then tells Loki, we're going home. Someone sent him a newspaper clipping about this Catholicism WOW campaign, basically that it's offering what is going to be referred to kind of as a loophole, allowing people to be branded anew as a new Catholic, if you will, which will wash them of their sins. And so if they go into this church because of this thing, they'll be cleansed and and they'll be able to go back into heaven because they have been denounced from heaven. And we'll find out more about it as to why, but he calls it dogmatic law. So there we go. I do love, you know, of course, with Kevin Smith, great, great dialogue back and forth. I won't be able to cut in everything a little bit here, but I do enjoy Loki's line of, Let it never be said that your anal retentive attention to detail never yielded positive results. You can't be anal retentive if you don't have an anus. Outstanding work! (laughs) You know, we'll get some more into that in a bit, but it's just, man, it's quick. This is probably some of Kevin Smith's best dialogue in any of his films. I agree. And, and, and smart dialogue and quick you really got to listen to some of it because yeah. they really like spout it off pretty fast and that i mean that is essential to the early kevin smith style is that quick folk i mean obviously dante and randall had this back and forth quite a bit right and and very much so in Morats as well and, and even chasing amy to a lesser extent i would say but this one it's it's back and it's it's really strong and i think it's smarter because he had to tie in a knowledge of religion into all of it, uh, mm-hmm. which which I think makes it work even better. Uh, all right, Loki talks about this movie, The Golden Cow. It's uh, some think it's 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 a literally it's just a, a placement for Mickey Mouse or something like that. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's a false idol, um, and so he wants to kind of do what he did back when he was an angel of death, and he wants to kill the people behind Mubi, you know, because that's one of the main decrees is you cannot have any God besides mine. Uh, I want to go on so many rants when I talk about religion, but I'm not (laughs) going to. I'm not going to. All right. And then they get it. I do like this line, though. They get into an elevator filled with people uh, because they have to go at this to this Catholicism wild thing in four days. And uh, Loki's like, last four days on Earth. Mm. If I had a dick, I'd go get laid. We can do the next best thing. What's that? Let's kill people. (laughs) Oh, not you. Obviously, everybody in the elevator gets a little scared. (laughs) So, all right, we cut to Illinois, and we're at a Catholic church there. Um, then we even hear about uh, a little a homeless man who's apparently in a coma. That's the person that we saw earlier. We meet Bethany, and she's there at church, but she's just kind of going through the motions right now. We can even just kind of tell through her expression that she's not super into it. Uh, and then we meet her friend Liz, played by Janine Garofalo, and she works in an abortion clinic, which... Uh, Two of the protesters, as she's walking in, are Walt Flanagan and Brian Johnson, who are in all of the VSQ stuff. And actually, both of them also got pretty famous for working at that comic book shop. They were in the comic book men show on AMC yeah, as well. Uh, and Bethany also works at the abortion clinic. Interesting, as a devout Catholic, if you will. She's not so well, maybe not devout anymore, right. but a Catholic working at an abortion clinic is kind of a funny thing to consider. 
Um, and they talk about her lack of faith, but she just keeps going to church anyway, going through the motions. So uh, we then meet Azriel, and we see his henchmen were the people who are um, took care of the, the you know the hockey the hockey henchmen, I guess as they call them. And they kill this random woman basically for her house because she has AC. <laughs> and another great line: No pleasure, no rapture, no exquisite sin greater than central air. And I guess. For someone who has been in hell as as much right. as he has, and how hot it is, uh, central air is an amazing thing. Yes, uh, and he's telling his henchmen that they need to go kill the last scion. So we'll just keep figuring, hearing this word, the last scion, over and over again. We'll find out more later about what that is. So uh, we then cut to Bethany, of course, because that is how you show things. Cut, <laughs> say they say you need to kill the last scion. You cut to the last scion without saying who it is, but you know <laughs> what I mean. That's that is storytelling. Yes, and she's in bed. And she hears noises. La Metatron enters with a fiery blaze. <laughs> I am La Metatron. And she uses her fire extinguisher. And then it's funny. And then I think Alan Rickman does a great job with the humor here. And his his surly British style fits really well as he's just kind of mocking her. Things are just kind of weird here. He's kind of proving that, that things are a little bit uh, more than just what she knows. She talks about, oh, please don't rape me. Please don't kill me. He's like, I couldn't rape you anyway. Angels are ill-equipped. And we see him take his uh, pants down, and he's just got a little fake prosthetic Ken doll looking downstairs, if you will. And yeah. he shows her his wings and explains that he is Metatron, the voice of God, uh, because humans cannot withstand uh, the true voice of God. And he charges her with a holy crusade to stop angels from entering this church and negating all existence. So, uh, and we get background uh, about Bartleby and Loki's ban from heaven. Apparently, Loki decided not to do God's will, and they ended up getting banned from it, and he got drunk and that kind of thing. Uh, another great line, were they sent to hell? Worse, Wisconsin. And it's just, again, more more fun, more fun lines here. Um, but we find out that, you know, if they enter this church... It'll basically be a loophole, and it'll reverse God's decree. And all of the universe revolves around the one truth that God is infallible. And to prove God dis- uh, infallible would basically undo all of existence. And so them working around that um, would, would cause that to happen. So that's what they are. He charges Bethany to stop. Bethany eh, doesn't want to help. She's <laughs> not interested. She's like, you know what? Where is God when her uterus was apparently destroyed? So just a little setup that she wanted a family. Her husband left her because of that. Um, so all this kind of shit. She wanted to have uh, a family and all this stuff. And where the fuck was God there? So uh, I do want to mention they he he transports them to like a Mexican restaurant. Right. And I immediately recognize the song in the background of the Mexican restaurant. I don't know if you did, but it was it's called. Uh, Conito Bernal or Conito Bernal was the person or the group and it's Mi Unico Camino uh, which was also one of the songs in the Lone Star soundtrack. Oh, okay. Um, and, and if you, you know, heard it if you would have like if it would have stuck out to you, I think you would have had that same connection. Okay. So but um he also uh, Metatron also mentions that he'll uh, have her meet with two prophets in a manner of speaking. <laughs> uh and one speaks a lot and the other is the quiet type. We know, of course, know who those are going to be. Right. So I love that. Uh, we cut to Bethany waking up. Was it a dream? No, because she has maracas under her pillow. Haha. <laughs> kind of cute. Apparently, uh, 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 Alan Rickman, like after the scene where he shakes the maracas, never put them down and spent the rest of the day annoying the crew <laughs> by just shaking them everywhere. <laughs> I mean, what a great guy then. Yeah. You know, 
How fun. Yeah. How fun. So that night, uh, she is attacked by some hockey henchmen, but snooch to the motherfucking nooch. Snooch to the motherfucking nooch. Two people come in to save her, and of course, it's Jay and Silent Bob. These are the prophets. I like the the insertion of Jay and Silent Bob into all of these, you know, GSQ stuff. Right. Uh, sometimes are they overutilized? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think they're a fun you know, duo. I, I think Jay is perfectly annoying. I don't think Jay Muse is probably much of an actor. I think Jay Muse plays Jay Muse. I think early on, Jay Muse was just being Jay okay. Muse. I think it's become more of a caricature. Yeah. Of yeah, who, sure. especially if you know anything about the background of of Jay's issues with drug use and rehabilitation. Yes, and he's been sober for a while now. Yes, and in fact, um, famously, and Kevin Smith has told this story that Jay Muse memorized the entire script for this movie because Kevin Smith took him aside and said, listen, we've got Alan Rickman coming in this film. You need to basically get your shit together. And so mm-hmm. he like memorized because famously early on he had very problems like mem- remembering his lines and shit like that because he was mm-hmm. usually drugged up or not very professional. And apparently like he went all out to memorize the pretty much the entire script even though he didn't need to. Nice. Yeah, like everybody's parts, not just his. Yeah. That's really, that's awesome. So, uh, so they save her, uh, and that's what's um, you know. They, she eventually realizes that they are the prophets, and so she is gonna go with them because they're, you know, kind of on their way back to uh, New Jersey. Uh, Bartleby and Loki go gun shopping uh, for their spree that they say, and I'm sure you recognize the gun salesman. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Uh, oh, was it Jeff something? Jeff Anderson. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Jeff and Randall and Clerks. Yep. Uh, he was, yeah, the video store guy. Another great line. Mass genocide is the most exhausting activity one can engage in next to soccer. <laughs> At the very beginning of that scene, you can actually see uh, Ben Affleck playing with knives, and he actually cuts himself on accident. Oh, shit. <laughs> Which gets, awesome. kind of goes against like the whole like angels being immortal thing. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, all right. At a diner, Bethany is with Jay and Bob, and I love how they first think that she's there to basically fuck them both right <laughs> you know that's what they're i mean that's the only but... thing that's ever on his mind so yes it is uh and he rants about silent bob's love of john hughes movies and that's why they're in illinois right now but they're heading back to new jersey and so she'll pay them to go with them um another good some good setup here i'm not gonna lie because you're gonna get set up in a punchline for later uh, he's like what about sex uh no sex what if we're in like a situation with like five seconds to live and a bomb's gonna go off would you fuck us then and she's like yeah right in that in that highly unlikely situation <laughs> sure i'll have sex it's like okay so they agree again good set we're gonna get, we're gonna get that paid off mm-hmm. all right so uh, they start to drive, but Jay doesn't know how to fucking drive, and he burns out the clutch, and so now they're kind of stuck. They're going to have to figure out how to get there. Uh, we see Bartleby and Loki on a bus to New Jersey, and Loki talks about, you know, reminiscing about his good old days of, you know, being the angel of death and uh, his skills being able to spot a sinner, and he points at a guy who's making out with a woman hard in the back of the bus, and that's another view askew guy who's also Kevin Smith's main producer, Scott Mosier. Um, I kind of remember him best as Snowball in Clerks, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> but he is an adulterer. He's making out with this other woman. So Loki pulls out his gun and kills him, and everybody runs out the bus. So now, you know, they're delayed a little bit from going to uh, New Jersey as well. What I don't get is uh, everyone left the bus, but I'm sure the guy just left the bus running. Why didn't they just grab the bus and just start driving? <laughs> that would have made more sense too. I thought that, honestly, I thought the exact same thing. So. 
Bethany is pissed that the car is ruined and, you know, she's just going to try to head back to Illinois. But Jay, you know, ranting, make a big deal out of everything. It's like, you know, talking about, you know, I thought we fell in love with you. You know, guys like us don't fall out of the sky, you know. And then in comes uh, a naked uh, Rufus who just falls down. Holy shit. (laughs) Uh, And he's like, you know, random big titty sexy ladies don't fall from the sky, you know. But nothing there. But anyway. Uh, Rufus explains that he was uh, from Jesus's day and that, you know, he knew JC and all this kind of stuff. Um, we do see that the hockey henchmen update Azrael on the situation and uh, he's apparently going to up the stakes by summoning a Golgotha at a Mubi's fast food restaurant. Uh, Rufus ex- explains that he was the 13th apostle and also that Jesus was black and everything got turned around in the scripture, you know, to write him out of it and to rewrite Jesus as as a white man, even though it's, you know, if there was a Jesus, uh, he would have been much more of a Middle Eastern man um, for all that kind of stuff. But whatever, all this kind of stuff and um, that he that he's going to be that he has been sent to help as well in this situation. Uh, and meanwhile, Jay and Silent Bob, uh, they get disengaged by the conversation there they go to a strip club and we see selma hayek dancing around a candy girl by new edition and i still enjoy that song mainly because of this scene and it just makes me think about selma hayek we see a little bidding war between jay and silent bob with a gang of other guys um the leader of is a guy who was in chasing amy can't remember the name off the top of my head, but he played Hooper. Uh, yeah, he played Hooper. Yeah, that's what I, I really I thought his character in Chasing Amy was hilarious. Yes. And the guy kind of stopped acting in around 2011. I wish he had kept with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is solid. I absolutely agree. I, Hooper was a really uh, well done character there. Yeah. Uh, Rufus recognizes the dancer serendipity. But then we cut back to Loki and Bart- Bartleby who go to the movie headquarters and with very dramatic fashion, they attend a board meeting. And I do like as Loki's like ranting at one point, giving like this soliloquy about everybody sinning and whatnot. He sneezes, looks around, silence. Nobody says anything. Hmm. Uh, Bartleby goes all over all their sins. Uh, this one woman, though, is innocent amongst the group. Literally the only woman in the boardroom is innocent. I wonder if they're trying to say anything about that. Uh, but Loki kills all the sinners except that one woman. Um, but he's about to. But you didn't say God bless you when I sneezed. But Bartleby stops them and they continue on their journey. Uh, funny scene. I liked this scene. Bethany and Rufus talk to Serendipity and we find out that she's a muse. Uh, so she's just another kind of one of these abstracts. She's almost think like an angel. She's not actually human, um, but she's a, a muse. And uh, Rufus mentions that she can, she can um, basically inspire people to do things. Uh, and Rufus mentions that Bethany is the last scion, but doesn't explain what that is just yet. Meanwhile, Something emerges from the toilet. <laughs> and and also Serendipity mentions that God is a woman, apparently. That also got rewritten over time with stuff. And uh, then we see the attack of the Golgotha, which is a shit demon. And it uh, kills all of Jay and Bob's new gang friends and all this stuff. And uh, I looked yeah. this up to see if Golgotha was a real thing. So not really. Um, okay. It's more of a golem which is a, a, th- oh, yeah, a thing the, the, the in, in Jewish thing, in right? the Jewish folklore. Uh, usually it's a, it's something that's animated that's made out of clay or mud. In this case, it's actually yes. made out of shit. shit. Mm-hmm. Golgotha, though, is the name of the hill where yeah. Jesus was crucified. 
I think Rufus explains that the Golgotha demon is basically like it's it's the it's shit. It's the excrement and pe- waste that yeah. people when they die their bodies let loose on that on that hill on that hill. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. That they all the crucified people, all that shit and all that stuff has become to this evil demon. But yes, yeah. But it, it was very golem like go, golem golem whatever. Yeah, Go- yeah, kind of whatever you want to say. Uh, yep. Uh, and then Silent Bob knocks it out pretty easily with some. <laughs> fart spray basically i do like the payoff though when they're when he's when she asks him like why would you have this and immediately jay farts and he sprays and wax it i'm glad they kind of paid that joke off with that yeah otherwise it wouldn't make any sense as to why he had it but sure but it just felt a little quick as to oh well here's this evil demon and then eh, they get rid of it pretty quickly but But that's all right out of this entire movie my least favorite thing is is the golgotha Mostly because I, I just don't one. It just doesn't seem necessary, and two, it, it it's a little bit too much toilet humory. Yes, I, th- I, I, I wholeheartedly agree yeah. with you that on a movie that seems so intelligent with its dialogue and stuff like that, here's a shit joke, right? <laughs> and it wasn't particularly well done either. But yeah, yeah, it's fine. So, I mean, if it was more of an action movie, sure, then that would it would have been too cool, super too quick. But yeah, uh, all right, uh, Bartleby and Loki try to catch a bus. Asriel shows up and lets them know that heaven and hell are going after them right now because none, no one wants them to, su- to succeed in their mission, and he kind of recommends that they travel incognito. So we cut to a train, and Bethany and Rufus are on there, and they're chatting. Uh, we see Jay and Silent Bob are talking to two random people, and it's Bartleby and Loki going by Barry and Larry, <laughs> um, you know, being incognito. Right now, neither of no- neither of each group knowing who the others are. Uh, and then Bartleby is chatting with Bethany and they seem to be making some connections about stuff. You know, they're, they're, mm-hmm. you know, have some similarities and eventually though, she gets a little drunk and, and, and lets loose what her actual mission is. He realizes who she is and Rufus walks in and recognizes Bartleby and Loki. And then Beth, he grab then Bartleby grabs Bethany uh, as a hostage and kind of putting a knife to her throat. And they have to have a little fight back and forth. And Silent Bob, though, is able to overpower them. Uh, and he is able to throw them at the back of a train. And a nice little joke here. And I know it was taken from something else. Uh, oh, this is from Indiana Jones. Yeah, this is from Raiders of the Lost. Oh, no, no. Raiders of the Lost uh, Star. No, no. It's uh, Last Crusade. Excuse me. Last, Last okay. Crusade. Okay. So, yeah, where uh, there's this random guy sitting on the train just kind of watching the madness. And he goes, no ticket. No ticket. Uh, one of the only, like, couple lines from Silent Bob is he only has, like, a couple lines in yeah. each movie. The funny thing is, is normally Silent Bob usually gets some poignant line. Yes. This is the only case where, like, there's two times he speaks, and in neither case they're really poignant. Not that that's necessarily a, a bad thing that he doesn't have, because I still say think this is my favorite one, but he didn't reserve any of the poignancy for himself, which, honestly, I kind of respect. Yeah, I guess there's there's so much um, depth to a lot of the other dialogue. Right. of course. You don't need it, yeah. Uh, Loki and Bartleby discuss things and they're uh, not fully realizing the consequences of their actions, possibly because they didn't really realize that maybe all of this would undo all of reality. Uh, But Bartleby, though, he's just pissed off and he, you know, he wants to kill the last Zion and he's sounding a little bit crazy. Even Loki refers to you sound like Lucifer, man. And so he resists and he's like, all right, I'm not going to join you. But then Bartleby just like, fuck you, you're joining. And so he does. And so he continues with him. I thought this was kind of weak. Um, where Loki, Loki's just kind of like the side bitch in this situation where Bartleby has kind of gone mad and it's obvious that he has, uh, and even Loki is recognizing it right now, but Bartleby doesn't really like 
hold him hostage for something. Doesn't mm-hmm. like you know blackmail him into doing this. He's just like, we're doing this. And so Loki's <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> That's it. I just wanted to call that out um, where I noticed it this time where it's just like, oh, they're getting resistance and he just kind of continues. Well, I think I think Loki has followed Bartleby for no for for so long at this point. He wouldn't know what else to do. Sure. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's probably exactly. I mean, it was Bartleby's uh, idea to to get Mm -hmm. him to quit. It was, you know, like Bartleby's really the mastermind of, of the pair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, all right. Uh, the group camps out. Um, they left the train for safety reasons. Uh, Bethany's upset. Why her? Why has all of this stuff fallen onto her shoulders? And so Rufus explains what the last scion is. So apparently that uh, Mary Magdalene and Joseph had some kids later on. You know, they, they definitely banged, uh, <laughs> of course, as they would their husband and wife. And so she is the great, 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 whatever it is, uh, grandniece of Jesus Christ. So she has some of uh, the Jesus Christ blood lineage uh, in her. So, and she has to come to terms with it quickly. She has a bit of a breakdown because of it. And so she kind of runs off into a lake dramatically and, you know, has her little why me moment screaming to the sky. Uh, where Metatron appears and he explains a couple more things to her and calms her down, transports them to an all to a nice restaurant where he explains that God loves skee-ball. You know, God could have stopped all this stuff, but someone was smart enough to keep God in it in his human state because God comes to play skee-ball once a month and tells no one uh, where he, she is going. Uh, and, that uh, they haven't been able to contact God and, um, you know, someone is basically keeping them incapacitated and but alive. And because if they died, they would go straight to heaven, of course. So they're not sure what to do. So that's why they are sending in Bethany. Jay uh, recommends that they uh, try to convince this Cardinal Glick guy uh, to cancel the ceremony. You know, why? Let's not have to worry about killing anybody or anything like that. We can just do this. Uh, and that would end the stipulation. So we cut to them talking to Cardinal Glick. But he's offended that they would want to cancel it. And a part of me is like, okay, if, if stopping all of, of existence is that important, couldn't Metatron talk to Cardinal Glick and like do the same kind of thing he did for Bethany and just explain, hey, you know, I'll transport you to a Mexican restaurant and explain that I'm actually an angel. Uh, and then, you know, maybe you can just not do this. But that just that was just came into my head. Yeah. <laughs> That just came into my head. But anyway, he refuses to shut it down. So uh, meanwhile, Loki and Bartleby do get to Jersey as the as the group discusses what they're going to have to do next and probably gonna have to kill them. Uh, and then Azrael p- appears to them and serendipity who had kind of been missing for the last little bit. She shows up as well at this point because she apparently found out it was Azrael who was behind all this stuff, uh, who Azrael kills the bartender. With a nice little holy bartender drink joke. I thought that was actually pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it was obvious. It was fun, though. Uh, and he's going to hold them in the bar uh, so they can't interfere with what the angels are doing. Um, and he is the one basically behind it. So the Catholicism wow starts and Bartleby and Loki begin their killing spree. And I immediately thought to myself, OK, so they snapped like this one guy's neck. Uh, Bartleby does all the cops. I mean, there was like 10 cops in a shot. Right. None of them pull their guns. No. None of them. They all just scatter. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, Jersey police fucking suck. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, wow, that's pretty sad. But anyway, 
uh, we cut back to Azrael, who was apparently like a former muse. He was kicked out uh, because he didn't fight in the ancient battle or, you know, like the war of heaven versus hell, uh, you know, that holy war back in the day. And so he was um, basically banished to hell because of that. And all this stuff, he explains basically all of his plan, not every little detail, but most all of his plan. And like, you know, even though he says, you know, even I know not to reveal all my plan, even though he kind of just did right um, in a very bond style. Uh, but he would basically, he would rather there be no existence than return to hell. That's why he's he's putting all this on. So um, as they see on the news, uh, the attack is happening. And I do want to I didn't call out earlier, but uh, the news reporter Grant Hicks is played by Brian O'Halloran, who played Dante Hicks in Clerks. And uh, Serendipity tries to put an idea into Silent Bob's head of hitting Asriel with uh, Glick's golf club, because apparently Silent Bob stole Cardinal Glick's golf club as the demon is like, I'm a fucking demon. You can't hurt me. And so he's like, yeah, just try and hit me. So Silent Bob does. And it totally like breaks him. He totally like breaks through his skin uh, and they end up grabbing the hockey henchmen and they kill them with holy water that Bethany blesses very quickly, uh, I guess because of her holy blood, if you will. Uh, And they then get to the church. Oh, we find out that the golf club actually hurts the demon because serendipity would know that knew that Cardinal Glick is the kind of dumbass who would bless his clubs because he's that kind of douche. Yeah. So ha ha ha. All right. They get to the church and there's just so much death going on. Bartleby and Loki haven't passed through the church yet um, because they're just enjoying their killing spree and Bartleby gone mad. Loki now though is drunk and he uh, has cut off his wings and he is officially human now. So he's actually, you know, easy enough. They could just kill him right now, but that's kind of the thing that popped in my head. Like, why isn't Rufus just, they established that he has a gun. Uh, so why didn't he just kill Loki right now? But maybe it's because Bartleby is still a, um, an angel and could probably handle them if needed. Uh, so the others, they do end up attacking Bartleby, but at this time, Jay grabs Bethany and runs away from the danger and they're just trying, and they're talking as Bethany is talking. Jay is taking his pants off, <laughs> and he wants to fuck. <laughs> this is a beautiful callback. He's like, "Hey, you said if the world's about to die, we can fuck," and that's exactly callback to that. I think this is quite funny. Um, and he mentions, you know, man, we're all going to be comatose like that John Doe jersey over there. Uh, and this boom sparks the idea to Bethany. She realizes who that person is because there was a boardwalk with skee ball. She realizes that, so she has Jay go attack. Bartleby and she and she and Silent Bob enter the hospital while uh, uh, Bartleby is kicking everybody's ass. Basically, Jay even uses the gun eventually on Bartleby, but Bartleby uh, uses that um, to take his wings off. Uh, So now he is basically human. Um, So I'm like, fucking kill him now. So that's what they're going to do. But but they're all out of bullets, of course. So Bethany goes to the comatose guy, John Doe Jersey, and she turns off his machines and Bartleby is about to run into the church, and we see that the god emerges from the old man, basically. And Bethany's stomach randomly bleeds, and out emerges God from the church just before Bartleby enters. And who is God, of course? The beautiful Alanis Morissette. Yes, talented, the beautiful, the amazing Alanis Morissette. Um, I don't really know why he cast Alanis Morissette. But I love it. Yeah. It works. Yeah, it absolutely works. Amidst God's presence, Bartleby, you know, is also human. You know, he's he he knows he is fucked up. They do what they have to do. God 
is going to speak, but refers, but first Rufus and Sarah Dippy have to cover Jay's ears because anybody who hears God's voice that's a human, you know, they can't stand it and they will die. But Bartleby is a human now. And so it destroys him, explodes his head even. <laughs> so kind of funny shot. So uh, I do love, you know, Jay afterwards, you know, stands up. What the fuck is this shit? Who the fuck are you, lady? Why the fuck did you hug my head? What the fuck is this shit? Who the fuck is that? What the, what the <laughs> fuck? Who the fuck? All this kind of stuff. It's classic Jay. I love that. God reverses all the damage done by the angels. Bob enters with Bethany, who is bled out and died, apparently, but God revives her. And Megatron reveals that she is Me- pregnant. Metatron, not Megatron. So Megatron. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Damn it. And this is what she wanted because, you know, she she couldn't. You know, right. she was pissed off at God for taking her ovaries. I want to say I always thought the shot of Rickman's hand touching like Bethany's stomach. It felt a little creepy to me. You know, does that make sense to you? Do you remember that shot? It, it does seem a little creepy because he, he gets a little low. <laughs> I think well, maybe that's it. That's because I mean, the uterus is that low. Yes, but it just felt it just felt he could have done it less open handed. I think I honestly I think it was like the slight spreading of the fingers like yeah, right beforehand. Yes. Like it's a it was, yeah, it just seemed a little too intimate, I guess. Yeah, we'll go with that. But yeah, uh Bethany asks God, you know, why are we here? And all God does is boop her on the nose. Ha <laughs> ha little sense of humor from God. Uh Serendipity and Rufus join them, returning to heaven. The uh, movie ends with uh, Jay and Bob and Bethany chatting on the steps of the church. And then we get visual credits of uh, kind of outtakes, yeah. obviously. I love when they do that for movies. I, of course. I, I don't. Absolutely. I like them. I, mean, I don't. I, I'm sorry. I like them when it's just, you know, scenes from the movie. I like them when they're outtakes. I just like visual yeah. credits. Yep. At any point. Uh, and then as the rest of the credits roll, we get an Alanis Morissette called Still. Uh, and that was made for the movie. So it's an original song for the movie. And that is the end of Dogma. John, let's hear sure. your thoughts. I don't imagine you watched it with your kids because this is an R-rated you know, comedy, a lot of foul language. And your, your kids are not like me. Uh, they do not care for foul language. Uh, also, my kids are not here. Uh, they oh, okay. they just left uh, yesterday to go to uh, Washington for a Boy Scout camp that they'll be at all week so uh i was just it was just me by myself um i actually had planned on showing it to my son okay Um, i mean he's he's almost 14 he's getting there we're kind of we're kind of past the point now of really really being concerned with language in films because they're Mm -hmm. at the age where they can distinguish use of language versus what we expect of them in terms of of language and stuff like that but i'll have to show it to him later I, I mean, I, I love this film. I mentioned before, this is my favorite one out of the sort of View Universe films, especially the first like four or five films that uh, Kevin Smith made. I love the theme. Much like you, Adam, I have my own opinions on religion, and I do like to see, oddly enough, I like to see religious films, even though I myself am not really particularly religious. I, it's I just I think the writing is is really funny. The dialogue is great. I think it's I agree. I think it's his best dialogue out of all yeah. of his films to date. 
I am right there with you. Um, I really enjoyed watching it again. Um, I, you know, as you get even a little bit older, you start to understand and you report you, uh, you kind of form your own opinions towards religion. Mm-hmm. Um, you're kind of a little, maybe a little bit more set in your ways, but you're also, you, you've studied more, you understand more. Um, yeah, I think this movie has some plot holes and some melodramatic parts and some other stuff that, that, you know, don't maybe not fit perfectly in storytelling wise, but I think it is a good, I don't know. It, it has a good moral to it, even though it is. Yeah. It has an indictment on, uh, uh, it hasn't, it is an indictment on the Catholic church and maybe religion as a whole. And I, agree with that and I like that I appreciate that but it's also not when you really watch it it's not like really ripping apart like belief in God right that it's not doing you know it is it has a very respectful tone for belief in God it has a less respectful tone for the the way man has adjusted religion you know it warped you know religion and and churches if you will and I think that's very respectful as well mm-hmm. and so I think that matters I think it's something that you know because Kevin Smith was a devout, you know, Catholic for a long time, and he might still be a bit of a believer. I, I'm not really sure. Right. But, you know, he I think there is a lot of respect for for religion f- that he gives to this movie. But it still is. It's a fun little breakdown of how bullshitty a lot of it has become. And so, yeah, but overall, I think it has a great message. The be- And the best message of it is don't be an asshole. And that's actually what I would say is my kind of belief structure. I don't think there is anything out there. But that doesn't mean you don't have morals. It doesn't mean there's nothing to live for. Right. You live for each other. You live for your family. You live for yourself. Don't be a fucking asshole. It's that simple. And I think this movie does a pretty good job of encapsulating that. And, you know, it pisses off everybody, but also does a good job of not pissing off everybody too much. (laughs) And I I think it's a really smart movie. I think the dialogue is some of his absolute best and smartest. So, yeah, wholeheartedly, this is got to be one of, if not his best movie that he ever made. All right, now we are going to continue on our discussion with uh, Jason Lee, and we're going to discuss My Name is Earl. This show ran from 2005 to 2009, four seasons, 96 episodes on NBC. show was created by Gregory Thomas Garcia. Uh, He also created Raising Hope, um, which is another fairly long-lasting show. Uh, The Millers, which was a shorter-lasting show, and worked on even Family Matters back in the day. Hmm. So... Uh, the cast for this show, a couple View Askew alumni, including Earl Hickey, who is Jason Lee, who we talked about earlier. Uh, Randy Hickey, who is Ethan Suplee. You would remember him from remember uh, one Remember the, the Titans, but also Mall Rats, uh, which is, of course, the one that we remember mm-hmm. him most. He can't see the magic eye thing. He gets all angry about that. I love him in that one. Uh, Butterfly Effect as well. American History X, that's another good one. Yeah, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that one. Of course, yeah, very intense in American History X. And looks nothing like that anymore. No, he is jacked and like he looks like an angry bearded like wrestler kind of guy yeah. now. He looks he <laughs> looks, looks like great. a gym bro. Is is really. But good for him. He was yeah. known as being just this uh, you know very unhealthy guy for a long time. Um but then he's he's kind of righted his his uh his health path. Yeah. Uh Joy Turner is played by Jamie Presley. Uh she had a lot of success in the show Mom recently. Yeah. I also remember her from Joe Dirt and Not Another Teen Movie. And god Damn, she's a good-looking woman. Yeah. Um, Poison Ivy 2. Yeah. <laughs> go, 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 go look up that film. Okay. 
I'm just okay. gonna note is that, that. Is that what, wait, am I am I getting I'm gonna make sure I get that. Uh, no, I think I think it is Poison Ivy too. I think you're right. Okay. I know it's one of the Poison Ivy it's, movies. It's this it's the sequel because the whoever was in the first one didn't come back for the first one. Okay. Yeah. But uh Perfect. Yeah, Poison Ivy, the new seduction. Okay. Totally worth that it. Sounds totally worth it. Uh Catalina is played by uh, Nadine Velasquez Velasquez. Uh, she was in Flight. I remember her besides this very very much best from The League, mm. um, a show that I highly recommend for any fantasy football fan or kind of crude comedy fan. Darnell Turner is played by Eddie Steeples. Uh, he was also in The Guest Book, which is another show that was created by Gregory Thomas Garcia. Uh, he was in Aquila and the Bee and a few other things from him as well. Uh, and then a show lasted this long. And also Jason Lee. This was Jason Lee's first, like, TV role, right? Basically, like main TV. He was a movie guy. Jason Lee was very much a movie dude, um, but this is his first TV film, and so, and I think he had a lot of pull, and maybe some other people had pull in this one, and so they had a, a lot of kind of guests pop in, and so there were people like Craig T. Nelson, Alyssa Milano, John Leguizamo, Norm Macdonald, Burt Reynolds, Judy Greer, Christine Taylor, John Favreau, Jenny McCarthy. Tons of people appeared on this show throughout its run. So the gist of the plot. Earl Hickey is a small-time thief and kind of just an overall con man, not a great dude. He lives in a small kind of fiction town, called a uh, small town called Camden, um, and he wins the lottery, wins $100,000, but then gets hit by a car uh, when he celebrates his good fortune. Uh, but lying on a hospital bed, he learns about karma and convinced that he has to turn his life around to be happy. Earl gives himself uh, over to the power of karma and he has to make a list of ev all the bad things he ever did to anyone and he's going to right those wrongs. It's almost kind of like an AA style mentality of, you know, you have to um, make amends and so that's what he's doing. Uh, so that way he can fix the bad in his life and be a better person. Uh, so, came out in 2005. Um, you know, it's fairly popular. John, what do you remember, if anything, from My Name is Earl from around the, that time? Actually, nothing. I, I mean, I remember the show being around, but I never watched it. So this was okay, my first not, time. Not one. Yeah, this is my first time actually seeing the show. Sure. Uh, I did watch a little bit of it. I wasn't, wasn't say I was a huge, huge fan of it, but it was a show that it would pop on every now and then, and I worked out fine. I loved Jason Lee because of his work from previous stuff with kevin smith so i did give this a shot every now and then i wouldn't say i you know fell hard into the show but it was something that you know i could could watch from here and there so i didn't have massive ties to it but i did like it enough i will say we almost put on a different show highway to heaven which was what that michael landon show or something yeah. back in the day but neither of us watched that at all i at least watched this one a little bit so i was like hey let's just talk something that we actually i actually did watch that show watched. a little bit did you? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. That's okay. But I'm glad. I'm glad to rewatch this one. I mean, this show actually had some pretty good um, critical response. It won five Emmys. Yeah. So, uh, so pretty well acclaimed, including I think uh, Jamie Presley won for like outstanding supporting actress uh, for one of the years. One of the things you know that um, can happen is a show is expecting that it's doing well and then it gets canceled, and that's what happened to this show. It actually had a cliffhanger uh, on its end of its fourth season. Uh, it ended abruptly, and it even had a caption of "to be continued," and then it wasn't continued. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, it got cut by the network. Uh, I guess just they didn't felt feel like it was performing well enough, and so yeah, the show was uh, show was done at the end of that. So, 
I did look up at the end of the entire series. So the whole thing is, yeah, Earl is pretty much each episode. Earl is helping another person on his list or a couple people on his list. And so at the end of the entire series, Earl has completed uh, at least 95 of the 277 items on his list to make amends with people. It's funny because even in the uh, in the pilot episode of Raising Hope, which is another one of the Gregory Garcia's shows, there is a newscast in the background of that pilot that says local man has finally finished going through his list of wrongs that he has committed as a nice little tie of like, okay, Earl finished his list, yeah. if you will. So, um, yeah, I, I watched there's I'm not going to mention a theme song because there's really not a theme song or an intro. It literally is just Jason Lee's character, Earl, explaining the setup mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show. So I didn't really need to watch it. I watched actually like the first three episodes of this show. They're all on Hulu right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I watched, yeah, I watched the first three episodes. I didn't go and watch anything later. I was considering watching like the last episode, but I just kind of wanted to watch the first few. And so I got through three of them. What about you? I watched the first one and then I watched one from season two that was kind of rated as one of the funniest ones. Uh, And it's one where uh, it's kind of, it's, it's weird because it's kind of a flashback episode where they start, they all start out in like one of the bars and stuff like that. And then they go, Oh, this episode is on. And it's an episode of cops that apparently they were all like the whole town was on. So it's, (laughs) I like that. I bet that'd be fun. Was was that episode good? Yeah, it was really funny. It was really funny. Okay. Nice. There was a lot of, a lot Uh, of throwbacks to how like they were before Earl started his list because it was from way back beforehand, but it was, it was pretty hilarious. Okay, I might have to go watch that, but I'll I'll start now. Cause I do you have anything else you want to add to the show? Uh, not 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 really. Not not other than our final yeah, thoughts. Yeah, not other so than I'll, final I'll, thoughts. Okay, I'll start my final thoughts and then you can end. Watching it now, I thought the show was pretty solid. Still, it's I, I think this show came out at a time where some other phenomenal shows were, and I think it just got buried. Uh, Scrubs was in the middle of its peak at this point. Mm-hmm. Scrubs was right at its peak. How I, Met, How I Met Your Mother started in 2005. Always Sunny started in 2005. I think The Office started in 2005. Those are all like sitcom royalty for me. Mm-hmm. This show, I think, got a little drowned out by its competition, but watching it now, I thought it was still a pretty decent show. decent show. I could see myself... At least, you know, if I'm in like a hotel room and nothing else is on, but my name is Erlon as like, you know, in syndication, I could pop that on and fall asleep to it or, you know, just have it on in the background and be pretty happy with it. I think the show works. I I think Jason Lee is funny. I I mean, it's got a very raising Arizona, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of hick kind of vibe to it, you know, trailer trash sitcom. And I think it works. And knowing it's only four seasons. I could see myself maybe down the line. I have a lot of other priority shows. I still need to watch Watchmen. I still need to watch the rest of True Detective. I mean, those are all like more intense stuff. Right. I still need to watch. Um, what's the Pedro Pascal show? Uh, last, uh, last, the last, last of, of us. us. Yeah. A whole bunch of other stuff. I know I need to watch as well. But if I just want like a dumb sitcom as opposed to something more intense, I could see myself going for this show, especially knowing that it's only a show of four seasons. That's not a terrible commitment in this binge kind of worthy, you know, land that we live in. Right. So, yeah, I was pretty content and pretty happy rewatching this one. I was honestly pleasantly surprised. Um, I got through the first episode really quickly and I thought, oh, this might be a, a drag. I, did, I didn't actually think mm-hmm. I was really going to like it all that much. 
But I actually found it to be pretty funny. And honestly, yeah, with four seasons, this also might be something that maybe my wife and I start to watch um, just to kind of fill the time in between episodes, you know, between shows that we're already currently watching. Yeah. I mean, I could totally see myself when we're like, you know, the wife and I are like, we're laying in bed. We've got about an hour before we're like really going to fall asleep. Right. We put on like a couple episodes of this while we play with our phone. Right. So you're kind of half paying attention. Right. But it's still there and you're still absorbing it. Yeah. I think this is a perfect show for that. I agree. So, yeah, overall, I think it sounds like a pretty thumbs up from us. Yeah. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... Herbert and I have been happy together for 35 years. Then suddenly last night, Herbert kicked the bucket. People everywhere are kicking the bucket for the great taste of Church's Fried Chicken. That's because Church's Chicken is big, bigger than Kentucky Fried. And you always get Church's tender, juicy, quality chicken at a deliciously low price. Mmm, Church's Chicken is delicious. You should kick the bucket years ago. Tell someone you know to kick the bucket and come to churches. Now we are going to do the casting portion of the show. As I mentioned, that we are going to recast Dogma using actors of today. I got a pretty long list of characters we're going to do. There's a lot of good characters in this one. We're going to do Bethany, Bartleby, mm-hmm. Bartleby Loki, Metatron, uh, Azrael, Rufus, Serendipity, and God. And I purposely did not put Jay and Silent Bob in there. Uh, one, yeah. because we've actually already cast we Jay have. and Silent Bob. And two, those are two very personal characters to Kevin Smith and Jay Muse. Yeah. And honestly, I can't see anyone else really playing them. And actually, that that's the only two characters that, that he still owned the rights to. He Even when he sold the stuff, mm. I think, to Miramax, he retained the rights to the characters of, of Jay and Silent gotcha. Bob. So how, how, how he was able to do like Jane Silent Bob reboot and whatnot. And I'd be curious, like, cause I don't, I don't want Kevin Smith to direct this, you know, remake if I was to make it, you know, right. it, it would need to be different. Cause if he made it, he already made it. I don't need Appa- the same. Director. Apparently uh, he had approached Robert Rodriguez to direct the original dogma, Interesting. but because it was such a personal story to Smith, Rodriguez had apparently told him, no, 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 you need to direct this okay so interesting i don't know that i would care about him not directing it as so much as maybe not writing it okay uh, per se yeah yeah um yeah. just because i think his humor has changed over the years yes it has i i wholeheartedly agree he hasn't made a good movie in a while <laughs> i didn't see reboot did but you great po- and i still love him huh right. i did i hated oh, it. oh really okay i i want to see clerks three though i haven't seen clerks three and I'm going to give some hope to Clerks 3. I've, I've heard surprisingly good things about cool. Clerks 3 just because it's basically the story of him in his heart attack just put into Clerks 3 using their okay. characters. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. I, I need, to, need to give it a shot. So, uh, all right. So we'll start with God. I threw God in there because even though she only shows up uh, yeah. at the very end, that is kind of like a pivotal... Uh, perfect it, cameo to, to exactly drop in. perfect yeah. cameo thing. So, um, who did you put for your god? Sure. And my first kind of thought was, do I want to continue 
a music star. Right. Um, because Alanis Morissette was just a perfect music star that they dropped in here. And I was like, yes, I do. Uh, and so I had a couple people come to my mind. Ariana Grande was actually the first one. I mm-hmm. thought she would be good. She's also got good humor. I've seen her on SNL mm-hmm. and she did some acting from some other stuff. I thought Adele, because she has the voice of God, she's just <laughs> even gorgeous. though God doesn't speak in this movie, even th- and that. And that was my problem. God doesn't actually speak in this one. So I ended up going with a person who all her fans think are God. I went with Taylor Swift <laughs> as my God, and I'm not even joking. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what? I think that that really works. It, it is a perfect role for her. Yeah. It's a perfect role for her. It is a surprise cameo. She doesn't have to, she doesn't really speak at all. Even though, I mean, she's done some acting before. Yeah, uh, and she does show, she has shown that she's got a good sense of humor because I've seen her SNL as well that she yeah. she hosted as well. So I think she would she could do a pretty darn good job. Well, I'm I'm happy that you're finally on the Swift train. <laughs> I'm not on the Swifty train, but I understand. I'm trying to maybe not hate her less. I just don't like her music. That's and I re- actually, who I hate are her fans. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. I also stuck with the, the music route. Okay. I just decided, okay, who am I going to pick? Could be anyone. And I went with someone who's really big right now and I think would not I would not be surprised if I saw her come out um playing a, a part that was basically God. I went with Lizzo. Oh, I I absolutely can see that as well. That's a good call. She's starting to get into a little bit of acting. She was in The Mandalorian. Though her acting in Mandalorian was shit. It was not great. No, no, it was not not great, John. It was shit. <laughs> I don't, I don't. But in this kind of role, I think it's a better role for her. I agree. So I think you know it'd be fun to see her w- walk out with the with Metatron and stuff like that. So yes, she can even play flute. You know, because she yeah. can't talk. Let her play some fucking flute, like a right. crystal flute. FYI, this episode was recorded probably over a month ago and before the inappropriate allegations about Lizzo have come to light. So just keep that in mind. Uh, all right. Serendipity. Who? Uh, I'll go first with this one. Okay. Um, I actually initially had someone else as my serendipity and then I ended up moving that serendipity to my Bethany. Because um, okay. I kind of was like, wait a minute, she would make a much better Bethany than Serendipity. And so uh, I kind of looked around and I settled on this actress who I think would kind of work with that sort of silly and yet sexy uh, mm-hmm. part of, of Serendipity. And I went with Juno Temple. Oh, she's perfect with silly and sexy uh, from um, Ted Lasso. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does re- she's really good as uh, Keely? That's the character's name. Yep, Keely. Uh, and, and Ted Lasso, and she's been around for a long time, so um, she's got plenty of acting yeah. credits. She pr- add good kind of crass humor with her kind of very British accent and all that stuff, which she's great at in yeah. Ted Lasso. I like that call a lot. Cool. Who did you pick? I looked around. I was actually kind of considering if I wanted to have. Um, uh, an Asian actress for kind of some Asian ep- representation. I also looked at that as well. I also I, looked at that as well. Honestly, all of like the, as weird as this sounds, all of like the most attractive kind of Asian actresses I could find were all too classy. Does that sound weird? <laughs> no. Because like, Ju- I ran Juno into Temple, the same problem. Yeah. Because I mean, Juno Temple, she, I love her, but she doesn't have like that. She's got like a silliness that fits with her. And even Selma Hayek, like, there's there's an overt sexiness and it's not just like over even though she is super classy too yeah i don't know I, i'm not explaining see, the, this very well no, no no i get you like my initial thought was actually aquafina but i cannot see aquafina no. playing a stripper no so she's that, not she's not she doesn't have the sex appeal to me right 
but she's got the humor for it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I went with an actress who absolutely has the sex appeal, and she has got good comedy chops from um, what I've seen her role, particularly kind of playing like a dumb but attractive character in Orange is the New Black. We saw that she has a lot of fucking good acting chops uh, in Doom Patrol, and boy, do I want to see her dance around as a stripper. I went with Diane Guerrero as my favorite. Okay. <laughs> okay. She's a very good-looking woman. Yeah, she surprised me with... Because uh, I, I first saw her um, as, in uh, Orange is the New Black, and yeah, then yeah, when yeah. she popped up in Doom Patrol, I'm like, oh, is this going to work? Man, she was really good in Doom Patrol. Very good. Very good. Yep. Yeah, I, can't, I mean, I, I, you want to see her in bigger, better roles. Yeah. I'm going to throw out somebody who I just thought of as possibly a solution to your sexy, silly, Asian uh-huh. quandary, Ali Wong. Ali Wong. Ali Wong. She is a stand-up comedian, but she has been doing some movies. I think she recently did a, a starred in a movie. She would fit both because she oh. is She's hilarious. She is hilarious. Um, okay. One of my favorite uh, um, specials she did was she did one where she was uh, pregnant the entire – I mean, uh, she was like seven or eight months pregnant during the special. Okay. I mean, she, um, and yeah. it's that whole. And she talks about it a lot, but I mean, and having you know, someone go, having gone through two childbirths with my wife, I, it was very, very that was very much relatable to me, uh, per se. But I, her, she's just hilarious. Uh, I'm seeing the yeah, the pictures of her and you know her her pregnancies get. I mean, it sounds from what you're saying that her um her comedy and she is a very attractive lady. So yeah, I, I, that could have been a very good call, call too. So I'm going to consider in the future. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, Rufus. I actually had a hard time with Rufus because uh, it's one of the few times you really, you know, it's as part of the story, you can't really change the race of the character, as it were, um, because that is kind of part of his mission. Uh, so, I kind of did. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then who did you pick? <laughs> I, I And I considered a couple different I mean, people. if you're changing the script, then yes. Yeah, changing, I mean, uh, he's, he's still dark. He's Indian. Um, <laughs> so does that count? Sure. I mean, it would actually, I mean, to me, it would actually make more sense if you went with somebody uh, Middle Eastern, because um, yeah. that's what Jesus would have been, was Middle Eastern. Yeah. And then this guy's Indian. Yeah, I, I don't think you need to play the black card. You know, you can you can just tie it in with another sure, thing. Sure, fair but enough. I think I think this guy had a very similar vibe um, in, in from, from some of his comedy and from some of his stuff, even though he has been a bit on the... The Me Too movement. I don't know if he was part of that. Maybe he was. I think he's got a good comedy stuff. I think he's a good side actor. I'm with Aziz Ansari as my Rufus. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. No, I could see that. That makes sense. I, initially, I thought you were going to go with somebody else, but the other guy doesn't hasn't acted yeah. as much. Louis C.K. No, no, it was not, not Louis C.K. <laughs> uh, no, it was another Indian comedian. Oh, okay. But uh, no, oh, the, the guy, the guy who has been on um, Daily Show, that dude. No. No, no, no. Although oh, okay. that guy's uh, that guy's funny too. Uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, even though he's okay. very famous. But no, no, Aziz, I can see, I can totally see Aziz doing this. All right, cool. Um, I I did stick uh, with going with a, a black uh, actor, and I I had a hard time narrowing it down to someone who I think because you know very few people have the same energy as Chris Rock. Um, he's yeah. he's got his own style, so I decided I'm just gonna let someone go with their own style and I went with someone I've actually used before um, I don't think you're that familiar with this comedy um, I think he's hilarious uh, his name is Ron Funches oh I definitely I've heard that name 
I've absolutely seen some of his comedy. Okay. Uh, and I definitely know the name. I haven't seen him in stuff. Yeah, you know what? I, know, I saw him in some stuff as like a side guy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, this is a good call. Okay. This is a good call. Uh, okay, Azrael. Um, yes. Smaller part. Um, I kind of, this was the last thing I, I casted on my list. And I was trying to find someone who maybe kind of had that same Jason Lee energy. I ended up going with somebody who's more known for sort of silly comedian than sort of almost like maybe pseudo straight comedian, kind of what Jason Lee is. But I think he could still pull it off. I went with Andy Samberg. Okay, yeah, he usually does a little bit more silly stuff, but I'm sure he can. I mean, he can play the straight man at times. Yeah, um, the straightish stuff, and uh, yeah, I like his guy, and I've I've fallen in love with Andy Samberg, so I'm cool with this. All right, cool. Who did you yeah. pick? Um, I think the guy I picked falls pretty well in line with the Jason Lee style, um, and I've seen him do sitcom stuff. I've seen him do some movie stuff. Um, even though his older brother is a little bit more famous, I think this guy's got, I think he's right for the part. I went with Dave Franco as my Azriel. Okay. I, I, I mean, I know who he is. I could not tell you off the top of my head a single thing he's been in, even though I know I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Uh, I mean, you. I, I guess you didn't see... Um, uh, uh, you didn't see the Room movie. No. Uh, whatever the heck it was called. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, disaster artist, but he was actually in Scrubs, like like season eight or nine of Scrubs. I think, yeah, okay, yeah. So you've that's, seen him. That's kind of where I started right to fall off the Scrubs train, but yeah, yeah, fair. I'm not saying it was good, right? Uh, but but I think uh, Dave Franco has made a pretty good name for himself. I've heard stuff, his so name I, mentioned many times, so I know he's I know he's okay. out there working. So all right. All right. Okay. Uh, Metatron, a huge, almost impossible shoes to fill. Yeah. Uh, so who did you pick? I uh, I wanted to keep a British actor. There is a presence with Alan Rickman, right? And there's a presence with great British actors. And so I literally was like looking up best, you know, who are the greatest living British actors. Uh, and so I came across, you know, and apologies if this is one of your choices, but this is any of these would be good. Uh, you know, I considered Gary Oldman, Benedict Cumberbatch, Ray Fiennes, Jeremy Irons, even because um, you can have a bunch of different age range, I think, for this one as well. Yeah, Metatron could be anyone. An angel. Exactly. I ended up going with another one who I think falls in line with one of the best damn British actors today. Or oh, actually, is he British? <laughs> <Am I? laughs> nope. Fuck. He's not British. <laughs> Uh, then fuck, I decided not to go with a British actor. I went with a, a, an amazing American actor who has played British, I think, on multiple occasions. I went with Peter Dinklage as my Metatron. You are not the first person I've heard who mistake Peter Dinklage for being yeah. British. Um, I mean, he's, Rose, he's such not? a good actor. So I could, good. I'd, yeah, I'd believe he's from anywhere, honestly. I mean, he was on the um, the uh, the uh, funeral of those movies. The um, like death, it's at death at a funeral. I think he was in uh, that movie. Okay, he's in the British. He was in the yes, death. He's in the British and the American versions. Um, but I just, other than that though, he just and with Game of Thrones, I just kind of I, I so <laughs> just gotten to the vibe that he is. He's he's got this presence. Yeah, he's got a fucking presence. He does. And so I think he could he'd be a phenomenal Benetron. I agree. And it's hard. It's hard. Who are you gonna hate? That's the thing. Who can replace Alan Rickman? Yeah. 
so few. So few. But I think he, he could do a, a good job and make it his own. I agree. That's a great choice. Um, I yeah. And I actually did go with one of the people you did mention. Um, okay. Because he still can't, he kind of gives me sort of the same vibes a little bit as Alan Rickman. I went with Benedict Cumberbatch. He was like the, the kind of the next one I was heavily considering. Right. So, so. sorry, I didn't mean to steal. No, no, thunder, no. But that's, that's great, fine. That's a great call. This, I, I honestly kind of went with the low hanging fruit with that one. I really didn't sure. think that hard on it. I was like, well, Benedict Cumberbatch is going that spot. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Also, he does a really good Alan Rickman impression. So he does. He does. You can, yeah, you can see it on. I've seen it on YouTube. Uh, all right, Loki. Now, here's the thing. I kind of casted my Loki and Bartleby as a pair because mm-hmm. everyone sees Matt Damon and Ben Affleck as sort of a pair. So I was. Yeah. I specifically was looking for two people who are often in films together, and I think I could see doing this somewhat unexpected in sort of a comedic role, even though I think they're both very, very funny people. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll start with my Loki, and I made Loki a woman in this one. Okay. I mean, they're angels. They're really not gendered at all, per se, yeah. in truth, but we have to have actors playing them. Uh, so I went with Jennifer Lawrence. Okay. Jennifer Lawrence. I have not seen her recent movie. I She's a phenomenal actress. I think she's a lot funnier than people give her credit for. Oh, she's yeah, she's very yeah, yeah. goofy. Uh, At most most of her interviews, she's very goofy. Yeah, uh, yes, I saw her hot ones. Um, that wasn't too long ago. I think she it was, she was a lot of fun on that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that. I like her as an actress. I, I bet she she'd be fun. I'd like to see her as an angel of death. All she right. Can, so, yeah. who did you pick for Loki? Kill me any day. <laughs> um, I went. I did not go with a pair. I went with two actors okay. who I think. Honestly, I think my guys kind of fit the style of a Matt Damon and a Ben Affleck more than they are a pair together. I don't think they've been in a movie together, so there's that. But uh, we've seen him in a couple different things recently, and he's been able to do some comedy, and he's been able to do drama as well. And he's right around the age, which I wanted my angels to be kind of in that late 20s to early 30s look. Uh, and both of my guys, I think, are in their late 20s. Again, we've we you've cast him very recently, and I don't think either of us really loved him as Adam Warlock, but I do like knowing that he can do the comedy mm-hmm. and stuff. I went with Will Poulter as my Loki. I'm totally behind that. Okay, I, I, I he's he can be silly enough to kind of be over the top. Like Loki's a little bit over the top, especially in in those like the boardroom scenes and stuff like that. Yeah, so I could totally yeah. see that. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, then who did you pick to be Bartleby? Uh, so. He's a preeminent. He's a lead actor right now for his you know later twenties, and I think he would give the gravitas and the drama um, that is needed for Bartleby, and you know kind of had some similar vibes. I feel to a younger Ben Affleck. I went with Timothy Chal- Chalamet as my Bartleby. <laughs> okay, interesting. I have not. Uh, I haven't actually seen too many of his movies. I saw Dune, but that was because I was yeah. forced to watch it at gunpoint. Uh- for my wife. <laughs> You're going to watch the sequel as well then? I will watch it because she's going to want to go see it and I will go with her to see it. Honestly, I mean, I like Dune. I don't love Dune. Like, she loves the books and all that stuff. She's, she's been a Dune fan. Like, how I am a Star Trek fan, although she is also a Star Trek fan, um, she mm-hmm. is a Dune, you know, kind of fanatic. She's loved, she's read almost all the books yes. and stuff like that. Um, so, also, the first one was visually very stunning. So even if I'm just going to yeah. go to see the visuals, I absolutely will go see to see that. But other than that, I've actually not really seen too much of his work. I just know he's a good actor. Because <laughs> yeah. okay. Hollywood tells me he is. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. 
for my Bartleby, I might also have picked an unexpected uh, person. Not necessarily known. Well, I can't say that because he's done some really big name comedies. He's not necessarily known for being a comedic actor, although he is very funny. Uh, I think his appearance in the Dungeons and Dragons movie uh, kind of showed me that he could absolutely do this. And he's often seen uh, with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. I went with Bradley Cooper. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, they're in uh, American Hustle together. Uh, They're in Silver Linings Playbook together. Yeah. Uh yeah, it was a th- so, there was okay. a third movie too. I can't remember the name of it. I just remember. Seeing yeah it. yeah yeah. Okay, so they, I mean they've got a good rapport. Yeah, uh, and so and and obviously Bradley Cooper could bring the intensity as for any of that kind of stuff that he needs. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's a good call. I figured I figured Bradley Cooper would work better as the more serious Bartleby. I agree, and in, in that pairing, so yeah yeah, I can see that. I'm cool with that. Uh, okay, Bethany, I you know there I mean there's a good number of actresses who really could. Mm-hmm. play Bethany. They need to be able to be serious while being around a lot of goofiness that is going to come from other, the other characters. Sure. And I originally picked this actress to be Serendipity, and then I realized, no, that was she does not fit Serendipity, but she absolutely fits uh, Bethany. I went with Rashida Jones. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She. I agree. She is more of a Bethany. Yeah. Um, I think she has got, she got, the, she got the acting chops. Um, she can do both comedy and drama. Yeah. with stuff um yeah i think i think she's a she's a very strong call yeah i mean even if you even if you think of you know most people think of parks and rec when they think of rashida jones yes most of our i always see her more as kind of playing the straight person a lot in a lot of that stuff where like the silly things Absolutely. of like aubrey plaza and and all the other things that are happening around her are more goofy than yeah. what she herself is doing yep yep wholeheartedly agree all right yes. who was your bethany so, uh, yeah, I wanted somebody. Yeah, Rashida Jones is like she's in the uh, those mid forties, and I mm-hmm. think uh, and I wanted an actress also in because you wanted somebody. I think it is important for them that they've kind of gone through a life without a child right. and divorce, and it's kind of harder to have a kid in those you know in those by the time you're after forty, right? And so you needed an actress who fits into that range. And my actress, even though I very adamantly don't need a Kevin Smith. You know, he can produce this film. Sure, he's, you know, <laughs> writer. He's going to own it. He doesn't need to direct it or write it. Mm. But uh, this actress has worked with him on multiple occasions, but I think she is a great call for it because she has got comedy and drama that she can handle wonderfully. I went with Rosario Dawson as my Bethany. I can totally see that. She's done several of, of Kevin Smith's mm-hmm. stuff. She also fits that. She can be funny. She can be serious. Yep. She's a perfect, perfect for that. Yep. All right, well, that was our recasting of Dogma. Please join us next week for another Top 10 episode. John and I break down our Top 10 favorite weird songs. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Comic books? Me too. Hi, I'm John. 
Join me over at the Comics Underground podcast, where I invite guests to discuss their favorite comic books, graphic novels, manga, and more. Go to bfopnetwork.com for more info or find me on your favorite podcatcher. I'll see you there.